I'm Joshua Best. I'm Jacob King. And this is Somebody Somebody Else's Favorite Songs. Casual popular music discussion spanning the past 70 years. We talk about the music you love. And the music you should know that you may not. You're listening to Episode 6, The Beatles Off the Beaten Path. Beatles time, folks. Finally. Not surprisingly, for those of you who know us, we are doing our first episode directly dedicated to and about the Beatles. They came up in our Bands of Your Lives podcast, of course, and we mentioned then that it wouldn't be the last time, and this will probably not be the last episode devoted to the Fab Four. So, as we prepare for a discussion of lesser-known Beatles tracks. That's something that will be interesting for us because we are both Beatles completists in the sense that there's not really anything in the catalog that we don't know and know very well. That's There are very few bands that fall into that level of... Of, of personal knowledge and absorption for me. Um, the Beatles were the first. There are others, but they're probably the most comprehensive from from my experience and, and knowledge level, and I think you'd probably say the same I thing. I can say that. They were the first, and um, a working title for this episode that we have for now is The Beatles Off the Beaten Path, and as Josh already said, there's not much if anything, that is obscure as far as our, from our perspective. So, you know, for this episode, we're having to, at least I can say that I had to, look through their catalog and take a large list of songs I came up with and decide to the average person, is this obscure, is it not? Of course, we're not going to be talking about She Loves You or I Want to Hold Your Hand or Hey Jude. Certainly. So... This is what I got into myself. I kind of did the same thing. What would somebody who likes the Beatles, but likes them in the same way that I like, say, I'm going off the top of my journey. (laughs) Casually. Yeah, what do I know by journey? Well, I probably know 20 or 25 songs. Let's say you might know the contents of their greatest hit album. Basically, yes. Yes. Why that band popped into my head, I don't have any idea. But that's exactly right. If you're mostly familiar with greatest hits type stuff, type stuff and we all have artists that, that that's, that's how we absorb them, then you might not know these. And I even tried to include some things that if you're beyond that and more of of a Beatles fan. Maybe you don't maybe you don't have every album they did, but you've got five or six, you know, something like that. What might a person like that not be familiar with? That might be the type of person who is more inclined to listen to our show as well. 
if you are taking the time to listen to a music commentary show, uh, you might be more interested than the average person, or you might be just listening because you feel uh, obligated to, because you're our family, (laughs) but you may know more than the average, so that's something else I had to think about, too. And to say, what I should have said a minute ago was that we really are entering a crowded field with this episode. There are multitudes of Beatles podcasts, uh, commentary about the Beatles, many of which we listen to or have listened to. So, you know, it's a bit of a, a different turn for us, but this is more of the content that we'd like to get into. That's really what got me listening to podcasts uh, when I was traveling and looking for things to listen to all the time I spend in the car. And I went to podcasts and found one about the Beatles and discovered all of the content that was out there that went to that more we're going to geek out type level. Would that have been something about the Beatles? It started with something about the Beatles, uh, which was just a, a fantastic, fantastic show. Uh, things we've said today, things we said today is great. Um, I think there's one called the Fab Forum. I'm trying to remember them off the top of my head, but there's four or five that I regularly listen to. Um, and now, of course, uh, the Beatles Naked, uh, Richard Buskin, and Eric Taros. Thank you. And Eric Taros is, is really great for deep Beatles-centric stuff. Go check any of those out if you really want to dive deep on the Beatles. Now, we're going to geek out today, I can guarantee you that. Uh, just in preparing this, I was privately geeking out. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> laughing and, and getting giddy about some of these some of these songs and some of the things we might say about them. As I, I'm sitting here in, in Josh's office, I look to my left and there's a wall of Beatles books, a little library in here, and I'm sure that, Josh, you uh, look through those, and I look through my Beatles books as well. That's another benefit of this subject. There's lots of material you can find in books and online to research this episode. Unfortunately, not the same, and I think we mentioned this in our previous episode. Um, Outside of liner notes, not much information uh, out there about the more obscure albums we discussed, but this time, we really really get into it. Wealth of content and information available online and in, in the personal library, as you mentioned, I've got 70-something books about the Beatles. I've uh, <laughs> read all of them multiple times and absorbed that over the years. It's kind of a little hobby, and I prefer books that focus predominantly on the music. Uh, the biographical information, as it informs the music, not so much the soap opera, although I do have some of those, and I don't really have but maybe one or two what you would call picture books. But, you know, memoirs, uh, song analysis is my favorite, that, that sort of thing. Uh, we've got those things at our fingertips. There's no excuse for us saying, I don't know about anything as we talk about these. Because if we don't know, we can look it up. That's right, and we will do so. So remind everybody or those that have not heard previously talk about it, Jacob, where your love from Beatles for the Beatles came from. Well, as I recall it, and I'm sort of repeating a story that I that I told in the first one or two episodes, was back when I was on MySpace, and um, MySpace being a, the main social network that was a precursor to everything we have today, it was huge when I was in junior high 
sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I think, and a vid video became viral on the front page. I don't know if they were using the word viral then, but it was a kid who was uh, a, a one, two, three-year-old was was singing "Hey Jude, Hey Jude, Hey Jude" all over again while mimicking playing a ukulele. So I don't know. That stuck with me. I, from from some reason, I took that video and I then went onto LimeWire and started um, illegally, I suppose, downloading a bunch of songs by the Beatles. Uh, my mom had the the Beatles, the one compilation CD of their number one hits, of which there are a lot of those. And that was it for me. Um, I think as an 11 or 12 year old, my parents got me the Beatles anthology DVDs, which is a a six DVD set, Something like um, that. hours and hours of interviews and commentary, and they also got me the um, the entire Beatles catalog in mono when that came out. Uh, so my parents, my family certainly indulged me in all those all that geeky stuff, even as a little kid. And the Beatles also um, was the genesis of my the relationship that I have with my wife. Uh, all the way back to seventh grade, when we became friends, we bonded over our uh, love of the Beatles, uh, and I just think that they are a tremendously influential band, probably the most influential rock band. Uh, everything they did, pioneers of certain recording practices, and just their style, their songwriting skill, certainly inspired me to get more into the guitar and, and being a musician in general. So huge influence on me um, just to sum it all up and Josh what about you what's your story about the Beatles definitely agree the most important pop rock band and one of the most important cultural things from the last hundred years we had all of the albums when I was a kid they were mostly the 70's reissues with the purple capital or maroon capital labels. Uh, so I grew up with the American versions and did not get to the the British versions, uh, different running tracks and sometimes different takes uh, until the CDs came out. And the, the thing that happened though most to really absorb me with them was my brother and I playing the Beatles songs on the piano and the keyboard together. And we had the, 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 the first music score that I believe had been released called The Complete Beatles, which was a precursor movie to the anthology in the 90s okay. that had come out. And we played from, from those and really began to get a love for playing music based on the stuff that we loved on the records. So it, 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 they were the ones that also got me into wanting to play guitar, play piano, and, and that kind of thing. We decided for our first subject, as Jacob mentioned, to do perhaps some more obscure type Beatles tracks for you and play those. So we didn't really make any rules. <laughs> we just said, there you go. You know. Like, you know, with our previous episodes when we've selected songs, we've sort of put some parameters. Well, this time we just said, Obscure Beatles songs, go. So we have no idea what each other have chosen. 
for inclusion in this, and it's going to be very exciting. That's one of my favorite things about doing this and, and why we seem to be settling into really enjoying making lists of songs. The mystery. Yeah, it's the mystery. The of, I, I so enjoy wondering what Jacob's going to come up with. And so our reactions when we say, you know, oh yeah, that's all genuine. It's all we real. don't know what's what's coming. But I will say this, and, and as Jacob's already said, it's a it's a obscure is a relative term. But there are a few songs that we have not included. Uh, I sort of made this as a rule in my head and then just verified it with Jacob right before we started that he hadn't selected these songs. And the reason that I have not selected these four songs, even though they're all album cuts or B-sides, they have grown in Beatles lore over the years, and particularly in the past 20 or so years, where it's it's like they are sort of the non-obscure, obscure songs, like Hey Bulldog. Okay, Hey Bulldog is buried on the, rubber so- uh, on the uh, Yellow Submarine album, that's only half of a Beatles album to begin with, but it has appeared in things like Beatles Rock Band and compilations of you know guitar-driven stuff. A lot of people now know Hey Bulldog, and the same is true for songs like Rain, and in particular, And Your Bird Can Sing. That's Everybody seems to love And Your Bird Can Sing. Now, that doesn't mean all the listeners are going to recognize or know Hey Bulldog Rain or Andrew Bird Can Sing, but many, we'll say casual Beatles fans will. So we wanted to go a little bit deeper than some of the popular obscure songs, air quotes, <laughs> which Being doesn't make quotes. any sense, but <laughs> that's that's sort of what we've done. So and any other opening thoughts before we get on, jump on this list, Jacob? Well, I think you um, pretty much nailed it down as far as that uh, I just want to say we chose five songs uh, neither of us like you said we don't know what the others going to choose without further ado Josh would you like to start oh I would be happy to and oh I'm sorry I want to say one more thing Josh and I joked before we pressed record that uh, perhaps due to the, the breadth and depth of the Beatles catalog we could not possibly overlap with five song selections I'm going to guess. Maybe we're going to get one. We might. I just, I just want to say that. We might. I, I think it would be as the suspense a surprise is building, to me. <laughs> as, the, as the suspense is building for your first choice. My first selection for an obscure Beatles song that you should know is While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And what? I get a, there you go, a quizzical look. Obscure, huh? But it is not the version that all of you know oh, from the White okay. Album. So you're going with anthology on this. I'm, no, I'm actually going to go to the Love Album. And the version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps on the Cirque du Soleil Love Album. You've probably never heard this. Take a listen. I, I can guarantee nobody's heard this. Love that's sleeping while 
my guitar gently weeps I look at the floor and I see it needs sweeping still my guitar gently weeps I don't know why nobody told you how to unfold your love I don't know how someone controlled you they bought and sold you I look at the world and I notice it's turning while my guitar gently weeps With every mistake We must surely be learning Still my guitar gently weeps I don't know how You were diverted Perverted too I don't know how You were inverted No one alerted you I look from the wings At the play you are staging while my guitar gently weeps As I'm sitting here Doing nothing but aging Still my guitar gently weeps totally forgot that version existed so i hold a, an unpopular opinion with while my guitar gently weeps you don't much family. care for it well i don't much care for the recording on the white album uh, you say it's pretty loud don't you well i particularly am bothered by the droning loud shrill organ oh yeah that plays uh, throughout it and at times very loud I just find it to be kind of bloated, is, is the way I would describe that recording. I, I can see that. I can see where you're coming from. Now, when I made a list of my favorite Beatle-related guitar solos, I included it because Eric Clapton's playing is great, and it's cool to have Clapton on a Beatles song, and that that's neat. But I just I just never thought that the recording captured the essence of the song. This captures the essence of the song. I agree. 
it's an early version that of George and his acoustic guitar by himself. You get the more wistful, that's not even the right word, it, it's more contemplative nature of the lyrics come through with that. But where the magic really happens is with George Martin's score. It is incredible, incredible arranging. This is a great time to talk about the importance of George Martin to the to the Beatles. And though John Lennon, especially later in life, was wont to dismiss his contribution, saying things like, what, what songs has George Martin ever written? <laughs> the fact of the matter is, he is a critical, critical part of of what the Beatles did Truly. and how they did it. Truly, the fifth Beatle. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's well, the, he, got to be the first one that he, comes he to can mind. Lay, he can lay the greatest claim. I, I think to so. Being the fifth Beatle. I think so. Uh, making contributions not only as producer but also as an arranger with the song that I can think of most being Eleanor Rigby. He recorded. He uh, wrote all that. Right. And. Um, Something else that comes to mind is his um, arrangement on Strawberry Fields Forever. I just think that it is it's, incredible. It's He's phenomenal as an arranger. This is a great example of I that. I Am the Walrus is the, the, a great that example. The, the strings on that are just genius. And what, what George Martin did was he, he never just laid down a chord progression that was on strings. You know, it's, it's not just this bedrock. It always had character, uh, counter melody, and flair that was understated so that it did not overwhelm the composition. It complemented it very well, and you can hear that most strikingly in the one song the Beatles recorded that he did not write the orchestration for. She's Living Home. That's exactly right. And it doesn't sound like a Beatles string arrangement. And for that reason, I've never really cared for that song. If George Martin had been available to do it and Paul wanted to record that song right then... It was simply out of Paul's impatience that that song was orchestrated by someone else. And I just would have loved to have heard what George Martin did with it. But on this particular recording in 2006, and George's son Giles was a big part of this, and of course he continues to do the producing now that George Martin has, has died. But in preparing for the Cirque du Soleil shows, they did an album of mashups and things like that. And it's interesting. And some of them are better than others. And some of them, I think they could have gone further. But this track is absolutely perfect. It was the last score that George Martin wrote. And he actually directed the recording of it. He was the uh, conductor. The, the, last, the last thing he did in his career was write and record this. And the, the little flares that especially nod to, to George specifically, some of the little runs at the end of some of the lines and things like that, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And again, demonstrates why George Martin was so important to the Beatles. What an incredible fact. Uh what incredible information that you gave me of that being his last, you know, work as a professional, I suppose you would say. Didn't know that. And when you first said, here's the arrangement of the song I'm going to choose, I thought it was anthology because on the Beatles anthology is where they got that, the simple guitar part. I totally forgot about the orchestration, but wow, that's awesome. 
I put it first because it's perhaps the most obscure thing that I came up with and one of my favorites. It, it's, I, it, I just think it's beautiful. Well, I think that's, that was a great choice. Uh, thank you, sir. Now, give us your first choice. Well, I have to say, something comparatively more pedestrian off of a... It's an album cut. This uh, I'm choosing Things We Said Today off of Hard Day's Night. You say you will love me If I have to go You'll be thinking of me Somehow I will know Someday when I'm lonely Wishing you weren't so far away Then I will remember Things we said today You say you'll be mine Well, till the end of time These days such a kind girl Seems so hard to find Someday when we're dreaming Deep in love, not a lot to say Then we will remember Things we said today Me, I'm just the lucky kind Love to hear you say say that's relatively more obscure probably so that of course is from a hard day's night their their first truly great album and it is a truly great album it they have so many that it's you know it's hard it's, to yeah. it, it's probably going to come in you know somewhere around fifth or sixth best if you start listing their best albums but it, it's a it's just a phenomenal pop record i would the reason i i really like this song number one Number two, it wasn't in the movie. They right. actually recorded this after they finished filming. Uh, after they finished filming the movie, the Fab Four, they all went on vacation across the world. Ended up that Paul and Jane Asher, his girlfriend at the time, and Ringo and his wife, went to the Virgin Islands, and he wrote this song on a yacht. Uh, Paul did. And 
I understand it to mean, and various books I've consulted take it, you know, that his girlfriend being a celebrity as well as, of course, Paul McCartney, they wouldn't get to see each other very much, and um, he could take comfort in the things they said today. It's kind of like a a future throwback, I think I've read Paul saying about, about this song. So, it's really interesting. The The verses are very dark and dark-sounding, brooding, introspective, and then it certainly turns into a rock song and modulates to a major key into the bridge. It's, so. it's a unique device that people don't often use. It doesn't just go from minor to major. It goes from... A minor to A major. Yeah. It's not a relative major and minor situation. It's the same chord, major and minor. Exactly. And I also, I kind of wonder if, you know, maybe he did that because it sounded cool. I mean, it might be a totally different conversation we can have, you know, the Beatles. What, how, how, how um, knowledgeable were they musically? Of course, they had written a lot of songs by then. It I just kind of makes me wonder why he would go from straight A minor to A major. But it certainly works. It helps maybe to not know the rules, quote unquote. That's exactly what I can't put into words. You just said it. Like not knowing the rules, um, you know, but also if you don't know the rules, you aren't constrained by them either. That's right. And I like to think of music theory, and we're going... I'm going on a tangent here, but I like to think of music theory as not really being the rules for music. That Music theory does not establish what you can do with music. It explains what you've already done yes, with music. Yes, exactly. And I think that is an important distinction and a good example of it here of something that you just don't hear very often. Now, I have thoughts and questions about this song as I'm listening to it. One of them is, Paul certainly sings with himself a lot on the early <laughs> records. Yes, this what you're hearing is Paul accompanying himself on backing vocals. It's weird. Um, he did the same thing on All My Lovin'. Yes. Which I don't understand because on stage, George would sing it with him, and it sounded great. Well, and that's what I want to say. I'm talking about that Paul... And you, he, he accompanies himself on backing vocals. I mean, they often double-track their own vocal. Yes. But still, another Beatles sang with them on backup. Right. This is not the case here. No. They have, they have harmonies on virtually every song. And usually, at least two of them are singing. Often, three of them. Occasionally, all four of them. I mean, the, the blending of their voices is Interval. truly the most integral part of their sound, probably. And I, I did read that George did um, back Paul on this vocally when they played it live. So there you go. Josh, you pointed out something while we were listening to the song, that the tambourine sounds like it's sort of out of time a little bit. Yes, during the, the major section on the bridge, the two bridges, this is something that happens fairly regularly on Beatles recordings, especially early recordings, where... Something doesn't just sound quite right. Um, but you so, know, they, they didn't have computers back then. They couldn't quantize their uh, all their recordings. Uh, actually, I have some notes about this, that they recorded this song in three takes. On the third take, Paul records over himself, and they add the tambourine and the piano. Did, did it know who played the tambourine? Ringo. See, that that's that's weird to me. 
that that has to be a recording issue. I think so. It's certainly not a playability issue. Ringo has impeccable timing. But it's a weird, it's just a kind of a weird thing. And it's something that you hear a lot on the early Beatles records. Something like, you're going to lose that girl from help. If you listen to it, it kind of sounds out of key. The rhythm section also seems a little off at the beginning. Yeah, it's weird. But those are the things that make the music real and give it a certain character. It doesn't mean it has to be that way for you to love it. You know, I love Steely Dan, and they're as technically perfect as you can get. (laughs) But there's just something about those little things that come up on some of these songs that the, are those, interesting. Those are the things that you only get when you're recording on on, on reels and mm-hmm. with four track and eight track. Um, transferring them and, and just the whole recording process was amazing back then that they even got this good of recordings. Any of any anybody. Right. Because now we have computers that any, anybody can record music from home. So. Anyway. I love that choice. It's a great song from a great album. And interesting, Paul only has three songs on A Hard Day's Night. But they were Things We Said Today, And I Love Her, and Can't Buy Me Love. So if you're if you're going to only give small contributions, give three really good ones. And they were. And they were. There you go. That's Things We Said Today. That's my first pick. Josh, what do you have for your second? I will go to the album that chronologically comes after A Hard Day's Night and select a song that as I listen to Beatles podcasts and people talk about the album Beatles for Sale, which is generally regarded by most people to be one of their weaker albums or weakest albums. Curse them for saying. Uh, well, <laughs> something's got to go down there. It happens to be one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I like it. I understand the regression with the addition of the cover songs as being a reason why it's a step back from A Hard Day's Night, which every song on it was Lennon-McCartney. But there's so many strong songs on it that I personally I personally think Help and Let It Be are weaker albums than, than Beatles for Sale. But when they're talking about it, this particular song is one that everybody dismisses. I, I don't know that I've ever heard a commentator on a podcast say they love this song. And I've only read a couple of authors who say they love this song. But when I made a list of my top 10 favorite Beatles songs, this one was on there. And it's a Paul number called What You're Doing. Oh, I love this. Look what you're doing. So much to ask of you what you're doing 
song and album I, I really go for it good choice there's so many things to like about it now apparently this was a song they had some trouble with as they recorded it and put it away and came back to it about a month later I don't know what those troubles were and I've never read the specifics of why they had to kind of keep going back to it though that was something that they frequently did and usually to improved results by the time they get around to they always seem to get around to the best way. Fresh ears, maybe, going back Maybe to so. It. But, again, and this is something that's going to crop up on, on this podcast from time to time because it's such an important part of the writing, Jane Asher inspires this as well. Um, and it's a, very, it's a very negative song. You know, from the standpoint of content, you know, look what you're doing to me. Yeah. And... That's offset a little bit by the cheeriness of, of the music, but the music is, is pure McCartney. From the, the drum pattern, uh, sort of an American Phil Spector type sound, <laughs> and uh, that's a, a significant portion of, of the song and its character. Obviously, I'm going to talk Rickenbacker again, because Rickenbacker the beauty of the Rickenbacker riff that... Paul probably wrote, but I believe George plays. Um, virtually certain George plays. But it sounds like something Paul would write. It's very Paul. And of course, as well as I could say it's very Paul, I could say it's very beatle because of, just like you said, the drums, the Rickenbacker, which is probably a 360 12-string, beautiful guitar, beautiful guitar playing, 12-string, very integral to George's sound around this time. All in all, I think it's a great track. I like how they, they drop the piano in for the solo, and at the end, if you listen to it, there's not piano throughout. It's only during those portions, and it's like a barrel house-style yeah. rumbling piano. Someone said this is a better recording than it is a song. That's, that's probably a good way of saying it. But there's so many tasteful little things, not only musically like we've talked about, but also lyrically, I, or with the words or, or the singing. I'm really fond of internal rhyme. Look what you're doing. I'm feeling bluein', lonely. Would it be too much, you know? You got me crying. Uh, what was it? Please stop your lying. You've got me crying. Girl. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Um, th- those things are... That's not even the best one. You've got me running, and there's no fun in it. That's right. That that's I love those little internal rhymes, and I also like the way that they shout the first line yeah. of Please. of every lyric. You. Please, you. That's that's an interesting little lots thing. Of, too. Lots of fun details in I, there. I just think it's a neat little song, and if you know, maybe the birds had done it or something. Well, they had several hits, but maybe some off the wall say. Perhaps if it had been done. (laughs) And there's no fun in it. (laughs) 
perhaps if it had been recorded by some random band, it would be more well regarded. Maybe. But for the Beatles, it gets buried and even disliked. Oh, I also like how you get, when the, when you've got at the end, when the drum pattern happens again, you've got the bass rolling in very much like it does in Paperback Rider. Yes. But a little bit... A little bit more hesitant and slower, and not so fast as he did it. You know, shortly thereafter, Paperback Writer. It, it's a great little song. You gotta love it. Well, I do. I've, I've never not. Me but neither. You, you just have everyone else trying to to diss it. Anyway, great choice. Thank you, sir. What have you for us? Well, since you didn't have any particular order for yours, I'm deciding to jump around a little bit. I'm going to jump into a little more peace and love style era here. Peace and love. Peace, peace and love. Peace and love. Ringo, peace and love. That's all Ringo ever says anymore. He doesn't interview. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. Anyway, my choice for my, what is this, my third song? Second song. Second. Whoops. Baby, You're a Rich Man. Yay! B-side to All You Need Is Love from 1967. How does it feel to be one of the beautiful people? Now that you know who you are
rich man too. I love baby rich man too because it's too because <laughs> it's so strange, but it has it such really a cool is. sound. It's very party like atmosphere. The weird instrument that you're hearing in there is called a clavioline. And it's supposed to be a precursor to the synthesizer. As I remember, it could only play one note at yes. a time. Yes, monophonic. It's actually tuned, or tuned, it's on the oboe setting, which is interesting, but it, it, I, it, they were trying for an Eastern type of sound with that. It was played by John Lennon, that clavioline, but it's funny. There's a book called The Ultimate Beatles Encyclopedia. Do you have that or heard of it? Yes. I, it looks like you don't have it over there. I believe I do. Within this particular book, um, the author gives credit to Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones for playing oboe. I'm not really sure any. I'm not really sure where that came from. I, I can't. I can't find any other reference to that. I don't think that's accurate. I no, think he's it, confused. I think Brian he is Jones too. Played the saxophone on "You Know My Name." Look up the number. Right, but yeah, I just kind of. When I wrote this note down on my on my Word document, I put LOL after it because it was really funny and very random oboe. That's definitely not a real oboe. It's uh, definitely some sort of synthesizer. But anyway, this is actually, oh, and Josh is saying, here, I've got it. He, he hands me the exact book I was talking about. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. Uh, so... This song is actually a mix of two songs, uh, an unfinished um, piece by John Lennon called um, How Does It Feel to Be One of the Beautiful People. Very hate ashbury yes, it, type it was a, thing. It was a term that, that California hippies, they referred to themselves as beautiful people. So I guess you might could look at it as kind of a, um, addressing um, hippie type of values, um, you know, sort of being against... You know, having a lot of a lot of things, having a lot of money. There's other interpretations of what the song could be about. Maybe it's about their manager, um, Brian Epstein. But um, I, I just think it's a really interesting song. The the bass is there's kind of this droning G note um, over chugging. the verse. Yeah, That's chugging, a chugging, bass. chugging along. And then I like the arpeggiated bass part um, in the in the chorus, which the chorus came Paul came up with. So. Uh, among these that we've talked about so far, this is very much a Lennon and McCartney, um, you know, piece. Yeah, it's one of those those things where they took two different things and stuck them together and, and made it work. Does it bother you at all that he says tune to a natural E, but the song's in G? No, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> I can't say it does. So, there you go. Um... I also noticed that Mick Jagger is given credit on this song for backing vocals. Really? Um, yes. That's from um, that's from Ian McDonald. Oh well. So I mean, that's pretty it, credible. If it comes from Ian McDonald, um, probably his uh, book "Revolution in the Head" is where that would be. Uh, that's that's one of the one of the. Most important Beatles books, credible, good Beatles books to have, and he actually likes what you're doing too. So I, I I'll give him he, a lot. Of he credit. likes what I'm doing. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he likes the song "What You're Doing" <laughs> like we do. 
Well, maybe you're a rich man. Fine selection. Uh, that one's available on the Magical Mystery Tour album. Yes, it is. So, what is your next selection, Josh? My next selection is a song that was recorded in 1968 and had over 100 takes. I love this song. But did not get released in 1968. In fact, the song did not see the light of day until 1979 on George Harrison's eponymous eponymous solo solo album. album. He's talking about Not Guilty. I am talking about Not Guilty. And I would point you to a specific uh, a specific version, the one on Anthology 3. There's also uh, a longer take on the 2018 White Album Deluxe release. But let's listen to a portion of the Anthology 3 version of Not Guilty, and then, for comparison, a little bit from the 1979 George Harrison album. It's a great idea. Not guilty of getting in your way while you're trying to steal the day. Not guilty, and I'm not before the rest. I'm not trying to steal your vest. I'm not trying to be smart. Really sorry for your aging head, but like you heard me said, not guilty. No use handing me a writ while I'm trying to do my bit. I don't expect to take your heart, I only want what I can get. I'm really sorry that you're underfed, but like you heard me said, not guilty. Of those two arrangements that we've just heard. 
I'm a fan of big fan of both. Yeah, I I love George Harrison's '79 album. There's a lot of great music on that. I'm going to keep myself from going further off on that tangent because I was about to. We could both go way out. This song is one of the worst mistakes in the Beatles catalog in that they did not include it on the White Album. They worked for so long on this and still didn't record still didn't include it. I, I think if I had to pick which version I like the best, it's probably the Beatles version because it... This, this song, lyrically, is about a specific time. And the instrumentation with the kind of harpsichord sound and, and all of that fits that 1968 time very well. I think it's fairly clear why the song is not included on the White Album. That would be for reasons such as... Certain lyrics... Not guilty for looking like a freak, making friends of every Sikh. Not guilty for leading you astray on the road to Mandalay. I mean, he is singing about the band. And then specifically at the end, he says, I won't upset the apple cart. I only want what I can get. That's a pretty strong indictment of John and Paul. Pretty big shot at them. Apple being a reference to the company that they formed. And here is George, who is really at this point coming into his own. He's written Very some great so. songs, but he right now is is coming into his own and not only had this, but had Sour Milk Sea available at that time that they recorded with and gave to Jackie Lomax to sing, which is a great number, and it gets left off. And this is something that, that keeps happening. It got particularly bad during the Get Back sessions Yes. When George brings in, all things must pass and can't get the rest of them interested. The song, All Things Must Pass, wonderful One song. One of the finest songs he wrote and several songs that he introduced and there are demos of him playing some of these songs on Anthology that end up on George's first solo album, All Things Must Pass. That's why he's got... Three, three albums worth of... I guess it's not really three albums worth of material no. since the last disc is instrumental jams like Thanks for the Pepperoni. But <laughs> it's Johnny's birthday. And it's Johnny's birthday. But as far as not guilty, I, I think that's probably lyrically the content and the... It's just a little too close to home. I, I have a quote here I just looked up. Um, I'll, I'll just read it straight. It says, Musicologist Walter Everett describes the song's lyrics as... Harrison's quote, defense against the tyranny of his songwriting comrades. I, I, it's clear that on some level, John and Paul, maybe they saw George as a rival, but more, moreover, they, they didn't want to be playing a song that, that there were negative things in it about them. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. Most likely, and they, had, they actually decided very early on John and Paul did, that they were not going to include George or Ringo in their songwriting um, credits, which, you know, I I don't think that's really accurate. I mean, certainly we had Lennon-McCartney for songs that only Lennon wrote or that only McCartney wrote, and that was their agreement. But so often the others threw in things that are integral to the song, the aforementioned And I Love Her, the 
da 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 guitar part. George came up with that. It's integral to the song. Is that writing the song? It doesn't matter because they it's, agreed on one way, and that's the way it ended up being. It's interesting you mention that because it's very, um, it's a very open arrangement they had. If they wrote a song, if they wrote a song, no matter what, Lennon McCartney, and that's not like like with Elton John. Elton John writes the music. Bernie Taupin writes the lyrics. That is how it was, almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. You don't have that situation in the Beatles, so you're right. There's lots of contributions going around. You know, the other two contributing lines to a John song or a Paul song, mm-hmm. they don't get credit. And not to mention the musical, the the musical aspects of a song, which they all contribute to. Right. So it's interesting dynamics going on in there. So if it's an indictment, and I agree with that assessment. It's interesting that when he revisits the song in 1979, it seems the arrangement is soft has been softened. Oh yes. And so maybe maybe that's musically bygones. bygones. Yeah, showing a way of, of of his coming to terms with that. But George was always one to acquiesce. Like it's okay, you know. I'll I'll play whatever you want me to play, <laughs> or I won't play at all. So whatever it is that will please you, Paul. That's 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 George. We're, we're quoting we're quoting the Let It Be movie documentary. But anyway, George Harrison he um, started as a guitar player, but ended up being a prolific songwriter, and really grew. Just like you said, came to his own by this time. So, and I've listed three songs, and two of them were written by George Harrison, not. Not a surprise. George is my favorite Beatle. And I think his solo output sounds the most like the Beatles. Which leads me to think or to state that I, I believe that George and Ringo had a significant uh, influence over the group sound. Because they didn't write most of the songs. John might be playing a piano, or Paul might be, or a guitar, or whatever, but the the backbone is the sound that George created with Ringo, and I think that comes through when you listen to his solo work. And I think it comes through on my choice, which I'll uh, say is also a George song. I'll just go right into it. It is Savoy Truffle. I think it's a. This is a very cool song. It's actually by the by the Three Tools, and I say that because John Lennon does not contribute contribute anything at all to this song, um, but so many others do. One question: Which version are we going to play? Oh, I'm I'm going to go with the Straight Ahead um, White Album uh, cut. I have a preference for the 2018 remix. I think it sounds great. Okay, well we can go ahead and let's play that one then. Oh, we can play both. <laughs> okay, let's do it. That's our, it's our podcast. We That's can do right. what we want. <laughs>
rocking, funky song. So I asked that that question because this is a sort of a controversial type topic, and that is, what do you do with official versions and remixes? Now, as long as you've got the original still available, I don't have a problem with the remix. This is a fairly dramatic remix because Giles Martin changed the way the horns that had compression on them, brought them up in the mix and give them more prominence. And I think his remix, Sacrilege to some, I think it sounds better than the original. Sacrilege being that it goes against what the Beatles wanted when it was originally uh, being produced. It, you could look at it that way, yeah. and, and I, I can't argue with it. But you, but the the horns make this song. I think it's awesome. It's a great song, actually written about Eric Clapton. His dentist told him that uh, he better watch he better watch out because he had a propensity for voraciously eating chocolates and sweets. And George Harrison was spending a lot of time with Eric Clapton, and they became good friends. All the Beatles were not getting along. So he got a box of chocolates, George Harrison did, and just read off the back of them, you know, the cream tangerine and Montelimar, ginger, ginger sling with a pineapple heart, coffee dessert, yes, you know it's good news, but you'll have to have them all pulled out after the Savoy truffle. The teeth are what are being pulled out, and the brand name for the chocolates is good news. <laughs> exactly. Macintosh is good news chocolates, the box. So, I really like this song because of those horns. I, it's, it's, it gets buried in the White Album among all those other songs. George Harrison has some major contributions to the album when you talk about While My, Whilst My Guitar Gently Weeps, as originally it was to be called. You have Long, Long, Long. I think that's a very fine recording. So... This one is, is one that I felt I had to choose because I think I think George is my favorite Beatle as well. I came around to that. It used to be Paul early on. Had to choose a George song in this list, so that was my choice. The remix controversy, part of why I brought it up was because it changed it actually changed my opinion of this song. Uh, this was my least favorite George song on the White Album for a long time. In fact, it, well, no, I guess based on what I said earlier, while my guitar really weeps is my <laughs> least favorite. <laughs> but when I heard the horns come up in that mix the first time I heard the the deluxe version, it it totally changed the way I heard the song. I thought it gave it the punch that it needed, and it's 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 a rocking great song. Had to include it. So that was my. Uh... Third choice, Savoy Truffle by George Harrison. What have you got for your next one? My fourth selection is Long, Long, Long from the White Album. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting we're getting a nice George Harrison suite. There's here. a lot of George Harrison going on in, in here, and I didn't plan it that way. It's just when I was looking for things that fit the bill that I really like. It just so happens that I've now picked three George compositions. And once again, I want to play the 2018 remix of this song because all it really does is level it out. 
makes the dynamic less extreme than it is in the original. And I think this might be the most underrated song in their entire catalog. It's been a long, long, long time How could I ever have lost you? When I assessment of the song being the most underrated in their catalog that's a big um, statement but I agree with it I also think it might be the most raw and emotional song that was recorded under the Beatles and I think it's my favorite George Harrison song on the album by a pretty big margin it, it, it is mine and I think it's just a, a phenomenal recording, a phenomenal piece of writing. You know, when George wrote his autobiography, I Mean Mine, which is not really written, it's just kind of a collection of of information that he put together, and he's got stuff about a lot of his songs, just little notes. 
And he states that the the you in this song is God. And I bring that up to illustrate a lot of people were very off-put at times by George when he got really preachy. But when he wrote songs that can be interpreted in multiple ways, because it's not apparent if that's what he had in mind when he wrote it. I mean, it makes sense, but it could it could also just as well be about a regular relationship. Yes. That's that's when he does his his best his best work as the spiritual quote unquote member of of the Beatles, and this song. There's so many things about it to say. From Ringo's wonderful drumming, you know, if ever there's an example of someone playing the drums like you play a guitar or a piano, you're not just keeping time, but you're creating. A, a, a musical thing. Ringo is one of the best examples of that. And this song, he just knocks me out. Just fantastic. This might be, when I think about great examples of Ringo's, Ringo, Ringo's drumming, I think about this song. I also think about A Day in the Life. Mm-hmm. And as far as, Similar. as far as technicality, I think about Rain. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what I always think of. The three songs to you know, showcase Ringo's playing. Perfectly, perfectly yes. said. I would completely agree with that. Of course, the the verses are are there's not there's not a chorus uh, or a refrain of any kind. There's verses, and they are soft, and they kind of build to this this climax. The so many tears I was searching, so many tears I was wasting. And then they get to oh oh, and it just builds to that, and it's cathartic. It, it just it's a it's an emotional release that happens there, in the middle of the song. Go back and get another verse, and then as it closes out, Paul plays a series of notes on an organ, and the cabinet begins to vibrate. There's a bottle of wine, blue nun wine sitting on top of the cabinet, it begins to rattle, and you can hear that rattle, and so they just keep it going, and it builds, and then you get this moan at the end. Howl, maybe? That, to me, it's always sounded like Yoko, but I, I don't know, I, I don't have any reason to think that's who it is. It could be George. I don't know who it is. I think it's, I always thought it was George. But it, it's kind of creepy, but very cool, and then you have that little drum roll at the end, and you're out. But it's it's a it's a, just an incredible piece of work to me, and it's a chord structure that he based on Bob Dylan's "Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands." This is also a Threadles recording because John also had no contribution to this one either. At this point in their career, John has pretty much stopped contributing to George's recordings altogether. Yeah, that's true. It, I don't really understand it, especially because as soon as the Beatles break up, George is playing with John. I mean, he's all over with the Imagine album within yes. within two years. So I don't I don't really get it. But he just had no interest in participating on George's songs, and for all of the issues between them, Paul always does justice to George's songs, and and makes good contributions to them. Takes them seriously. You know, see the incredible baseline in something or or this song and the mark that he helped to put on it. it. It's just a strange thing, but 
Love, Long, 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 from the White Album, George Harrison again. Fine choice. Uh, your fourth song. Well, I'm going to take it back nearly to the beginning. I'm going to choose, um, this is a song where John is doing Smokey Robinson, as he says. This is All I've Got to Do, off of their second album, going by British releases, their second album called With the Beatles. Let's check this one out. Whenever I want you around, yeah. to do this subject this is the first song that came to mind I I just think it's a a great song and it's got so many interesting things the drum beat from Ringo I I would describe it as sort of Latin but it's very kind of disjointed a little bit between the hat and the hi-hat snare and drum the bass drum it's a similar thing to what he would later do within my life it's a very similar pattern kind of yes Yes, exactly. I've always liked this song, too, but it's another one that I don't find a lot of people hold in very high esteem, but I've always been very fond of it. Well, and it's just like what you said with what you're doing. These are songs that are underrated, off the beaten path, shall we say. And something else interesting about the music is that Paul is playing some chords on bass um, during the verse. Um, A... Writer named Dennis Allstrand says this is the first time that um, chords being played on bass is is found in a in a um, prominently in a rock song, so that's interesting uh, to note I think. But the, the 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 coolest part for me is talking about dynamics. It really kind of starts out and builds up to the end of the ver- to the chorus, then goes back down again. 
Mm-hmm. But then it gets to that last course, and it's just like, you just got to call on me. You just got to call on me, repeating that. And it gets really to a high point. Well, you would think maybe that's the end of the song. But hold on. One hit on the hi-hat, and then they're back in uh, to, to fade out. But this time they're humming the humming the melody. That's something that I can't think that they've done very much of, um, repeating at the end the, the verse but humming it. That is, I think it's singular uh, on their work. Not that that's anything notable, but that's what stands out to me. Well, originally at the end of the day in the life, before they had the piano chord, they had they were all humming the chord. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's much better executed with the piano, and this is much better executed with the hum. Yeah, so, I think so. <laughs> I I like this song very much. It is similar. It's interesting you mentioned. Uh, him trying to do Smokey Robinson, their cover of Please Mr. Postman is also on this album, and and they're very similar in that they are both great vocal performances from John. And it really shows what a really superb, you know, strip away all of the campaigning and the peace and the politics and the, you know, all the harsh opinions one way or another and the changing their minds and all the out there stuff and the controversy. Even the songwriting, you strip it down, John Lennon was a wonderful vocalist. And it's just well illustrated on these early songs when he's really giving it all he's got, trying to show that he could do it, and it just sounds great. I agree. So that was my fourth choice all I've got to do, a John Lennon song. Outstanding. What this is going to be your fifth pick, is that yes, right? This will be my my last. So what have you? So, I have not chosen a fourth George song, <laughs> but I have chosen a particular recording. Uh, earlier, we mentioned that as the Beatles went through the various iterations of a song, that their quality control is almost perfect. What they release is always best. And I still think in this case that it's true, but this is an early take of a song from Rubber Soul that I just love. It's it's neat. It sounds different. I, I'm not saying it's better than the released version. But I'm talking about um, take one, or the first attempt at recording Paul's song, again inspired by Jane Asher, I'm Looking For You. I'm looking through you, where did you go? I thought I knew you, what did I know?
great choice. It really is a song that it really stands on its own from the the cut that gets on the album. Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't know that it's better. Uh, I love. I'm looking through you. Although on Rubber Soul, it's a very sloppy recording. There's there's a lot of guitar feedback and I don't know. It, it's it, but it's still great. Now the this version lacks the bridge. Why right. tell me why did you not treat me right? But it gets that little mid '60s rock and roll vibe at the end of each verse that's subdued in the final version. Um, I don't know. Kind of sounds like the Monkees or something. It know? does. It's the whole album. And I'm going to get to this. The whole album is very hippie. Like yeah. I think this album captures the the I don't know how else to say it. The hippie sentiment. Rubber Soul. Uh, yes. Oh, I agree with that. Especially coming ahead of the hippie movement. Yes. You know, people think of Sgt. Pepper. Oh, well, that's that's the Summer of Love, the psychedelic, the hippie album. Um, yeah, maybe as it's informed by drug use. <laughs> well, but R- Rubber Soul is pretty informed by drug use, but different drug. Yeah. This is, as George would call it, their pot album. Yes. And that's what I was going for. <laughs> but the most, the best psychedelic song they ever recorded is on Rubber Soul. It's the word. I mean, that is a perfect psychedelic song. Yes, it is. But anyway, I'm looking through you. Another Jane Asher inspired song, another slightly misogynistic approach from Paul. And what he's talking about is he wanted her to quit her acting career and just be be a wife. Be a wife at, at home while he's out doing what, what he does and she wasn't gonna quit her career. Ultimately that's that's why they didn't stay together. But her her influence over these selections may have been George Heavy in our listing, but it's Jane Asher who comes in second because she's yes. really informing a lot of these these Paul songs at, yes. at the, as she did at the time. So Absolutely. I like this version, and you've probably never heard it before, so I hope you enjoyed it. Now, that, that little, the little instrumental section in, in the middle of the song takes that post-verse after the I'm looking through you, you're not the same refrain, and it takes that and it just turns it into a 12-bar blues jam. That's all it is. Basically so. So it's interesting to note that it was between the final version of this recording, uh, I'm looking through you, and what goes on, that they recorded something called the 12-bar original, which sounds very similar yes, it does. to what was in the early version of I'm looking through you, and yes. it's basically just them trying to do Booker T and the MGs. Which is, you can also find that on the anthology. Yes, yes. I'm not telling you to go look it up. There's nothing that remarkable about it, but it's interesting But it fits. It fits right in with what you said. So, I'm looking through you, Anthology 2 version. That's my fifth selection. Well, my last one, um, you already gave, my last selection, you already gave an introduction to the most psychedelic song that we have in Beatles Road. That's correct. My my final selection is The Word.
is love. Pretty, pretty funny that totally unplanned that we segued right into that, just talking about Rubber Soul. Uh, always, always thought that was a, a great track from a fantastic album. Well, this was another song that, that came on my list pretty quickly. It, you know, it kind of gets overshadowed by some other songs on the album that are, I think, more prominent, like Drive My Car is a popular Beatles song. Um, I also think of Nowhere Man and Think For Yourself in My Life is a huge favorite. So this one I chose because it, it's it embodies that sort of hippie sound that I was talking about when Josh was doing I'm Looking Through You. Not only that, I think it's a really, really good recording with a great example of a Beatles song, quote-unquote, with, with lots of interesting parts on piano and mm-hmm. the bass part. Harmonium. And harmonium is that synthesizer thing you were hearing that actually was played by George Martin. Um, it's kind of from... This was, song was written mainly by John Lennon. And what's interesting is... It kind of marks the... It's a transition. It, it was written two years... About two years after She Loves You, which is that boy-meets-a-girl type of love. And then we have this, and then two years later is All You Need Is Love. So, according to John, it sort of... It was their first message song where they were coming into their own as cultural leaders, sort of answering the philosophical questions of the day. Uh, but I really like the song. Um, it's been criticized as many as a couple of songs on our list have been criticized that the vocals, the harmonies seemed a bit forced, and that the harmonium was a little too loud. But nah, enough with the criticism anyway. It's a good song. That's why we put it on. That's why we put it on the list. And like I said earlier, I think it's a better genre attempt than All You Need Is Love is. Yes. Um, in, in fact, I've I mentioned to Jacob while we were listening to it, you, if they had just, on the Our, Our World broadcast, instead of writing and singing All You Need Is Love, if they had just performed the word, I think uh, it would be it would have been great. Um, I've never been really fond of All You Need Is Love. I think it's a little bit simplistic, and, and it was great for what it was and for the time. I just don't think it's that great a song. I think as a song, this is better. My opinion. I would tend to agree. There, we, there you have it. So my five songs were Things We Said Today, Baby, You're a Rich Man, Savoy Truffle, All I've Got to Do, and The Word. And I came up with While My Guitar Gently Weeps, the love version, What You're Doing from Beatles for Sale, Not Guilty from the White Album Sessions, Long, 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 specifically the 2018 remix, and I'm Looking Through You version one from Anthology 2. Well, I think that we ended up we ended up with a great list. At the end, at the beginning, I said maybe we would have one intersection, but a near miss or two. I think it turned out to be a great list, and they all kind of they fit into this category that we didn't define very well. We still mm-hmm. got into it, I mm-hmm. think. I think so too, and and yes, we came we came close on some of them, but didn't didn't pick the same one, and so that's neat. And and honestly, I'm sure we would love to come up with. Another five each of more obscure Beatles songs, but we'll we'll close with those uh, those ten this time and uh, keep exploring and enjoying. Before we sign off, uh, 
quick shout out to the Mohican tribe, Alan, Jeff, Matt, Nathan, and Rodney. <laughs> I appreciate you fellows so much because not only are they giving us a lot of good feedback, but they're, they've made some suggestions for some topics they would like to hear us cover. And we're going to be doing that. And I'm looking forward to it because they've had some very, very good ideas. So our, our upcoming shows are, are courtesy of some, some very loyal somebody else's favorite songs fans. <laughs> and I appreciate it, guys. And I'd like to say to anyone who has suggestions, please let us know because we always have a, a sort of running list of things we'd like to talk about. That list is probably endless, but we, we certainly jumped on covering the, those suggestions just because somebody took the time to come up with them. Yes, so we, we, we like that. that's great. And we've, we've had our curiosity and interest in those things. Yes, and we'd love to hear um, what y'all think uh, to our listeners out there. If you have some songs you'd like to mention, please do so. And we'd love to hear feedback from you as well. Before we sign off, Jacob, where can they reach you? Well, we can be reached on Facebook on our Somebody Else's Favorite Song page. You can type that right into the search and find us there. And, of course, I'm on Facebook as well. Jacob King is my name. You can also find me on Twitter at fifth jmk that is f-i-f-t-h-j-m-k and that's where i can be reached uh, josh what about you on twitter at squonk15 s-q-u-o-n-k-1-5 uh, joshua at joshuavbest.com or via my website joshuavbest.com and i just want to add as well that as at the time of this recording you can find us on apple podcast you can find us on spotify uh stitcher you can find us on Google Podcasts. We'd love to be everywhere, and we'd love for you to join us. And finally, from me, our website, uh, sefs.show. We've begun to post these episodes along with Spotify playlists so that all of the music that's in the, the show and maybe even sometimes stuff we reference is all in a playlist together. So we like to play the snippets on the show, sometimes longer than others, but not necessarily the whole song. If you really want to digest the music more fully, uh, you can do that, and there's a, a nice shortcut for you on the sefs.show website, so you can do so. And we thought this would be something really cool that would give you a nice jumping-off point because you can take those links to your Spotify app if you listen, uh, you can save the playlist, you can get suggestions for other songs off of that playlist as well, so... I'm going to say thanks to y'all for listening today, where we've taken you off the beaten path of the Beatles catalog. We hope you'll join us next time. Until then, I'm Jacob. And I'm Josh. And this has been Somebody Somebody Else's else's Favorite Song. I'm warning you with peace and love.